If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be all skill, baby. And here's why. In this episode, we're going to answer how is the term armor class misleading and how to keep players on the edge of their seat during combat. And is there a system that we can use to reliably represent characters that always make the player feel good? Mm, I don't know. Sounds challenging to me. Let's do it now. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So let's start off with a bang. <laughs> Go on. Just, I'm intrigued. <laughs> we described uh, in the last episode, we were talking about your character, Seven, and how he's a badass. So give us a recap of Seven. So Seven is basically Batman. <laughs> I, I feel like there's these stereotypes that everyone builds their one of their original characters on. Yeah. He was one of my originals. So he's a trench coat wearing, tricorn sporting, bad bama jamma that, you know, he's a rogue, he's a warlock, he's all cool, and nothing phases him. He's come a long way, though. Since he, those... has, he has come a long way, and he's become a, a much more dynamic character as I've become a better role player and a better storyteller in general. But that's him in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, so the party is standing around Seven because okay. Seven has come across a locked door and said that he is able to pick it. He's skilled. He's got experience in doing this. He knows how locks work. Yeah. It looks like a tough door, but I got this. <laughs> so the rest of the party is waiting for this padlock to get picked. Let's say seven rolls a one. Which I don't. I never roll ones, by the way. I just sure. take a piece of sandpaper and I scratch that number <laughs> off. Just wait your dice, you know, whatever it takes. But it happens 5% of the time. Even with your cheating dice, happens 1% <laughs> of the time. You roll a one, he fails. That means that his flubbery fingers get all tangled up and he breaks his lock pick off yeah. and he slips on his leather lock picking kit and he falls on his ass and he even gets one of the lock picks jammed in his... No. <laughs> Stop there. Done with this what? stupid. No, because that is not, that's not my character. That's absolute horseshit. At this point, I grab my dice and a big handful, they're metal too, and I just huck them at you across the table. <laughs> if we're going to carry on this narrative, this role-playing narrative, yes, I, I throw all of my dice at you. They dent the walls and also your skull, and I get up and I leave the table because you've just made my super badass character look like a total dipshit. Yeah, funny. <laughs> so don't do that. Can you take another stab at that? All right. He gets out his lockpick and his gear, and he takes a look at the workings of this particular model, which he's seen many times before. And it does look like a fairly challenging lock, but he asks the party for total silence, and he begins working. And he can feel each tumbler slowly clicking into place, it takes a little bit of time and some precision, but as he's honing in his focus, he feels the tip of his lockpick break off 
in one of the positions that the tumbler's in. Oh. And he pulls his lockpick out. And that was the last one in this kit that had a working tip. So, unfortunately, that lock is jammed in position. All right. This is something that does not result in a table flip for me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Introduced a little bit of like character skill in there. Sure. And yeah, he is skilled at lock picking. He's got a plus four in it. Yeah. So hell yes, he should. So that's what this whole episode is kind of structured around, is how do we do this in a more consistent way? So let's hit up that strategy stateroom. I'm already there. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so every single role in D&D comes down to trying to hit a predetermined difficulty class or armor class. DC or AC. Exactly. So let's start with the DC. Okay. The, the difficulty class represents anything that you're trying to do in the world, essentially. So the DM will typically set a number that represents how difficult that is. And in the 5th edition handbook, it describes that scale. And we're using the 20-sided dice. So that scale typically goes from 1 to 30 if you're super good at it. <laughs> Pretty darn good. Yeah. That's a lot of bonuses in there. So just to quickly go over that, you've got 5 is very easy. 10 is easy. 15 is medium. 20 is hard. 25 is very hard. And 30 is that legendary, nearly impossible level of skill. And a lot of folks find it really easy to consider 10 being average human ability. Like that's kind of just the, yeah. the middle point is a 10. It helps me to visualize how difficult something is. Yeah. And then on the flip side, you have armor class, which is essentially a measure of the skill of the attacker versus the skill of the defender. And it's basically the same thing as that difficulty class. It just represents a person's ability to defend. It, it falls in that same scale of 1 to 30. It's like if somebody has an armor class of 20, they're very good at defending themselves. If they've got an armor class of 5, they're almost a brick wall and they're super easy to hit. So the challenge that I find with the naming armor class yeah i mean this is open i'm sure to a lot of discussion but my problem with armor class is that we tend to take it as literally meaning armor yeah you just envision plate armor big shield yeah big freaking heater shield there's nothing that's getting through that defense a knight basically yeah comes to mind and so you go ahead and you try and shoot an arrow and it kind of ricochets off the armor and it's like cool armor class doing its job except say a rogue wears light armor it, it represents anything that you do as a character that avoids the hit or the damage so you have to take into account this idea that the rogue makes up a lot of their armor class with their dexterity yeah and their ability to dodge and move out of the way and stay nimble and use their very light armor to their advantage 
So they still get a, a slight bonus from their armor, but the majority of it is coming from their ability to move quickly. Yeah. So now all of a sudden that whole armor class idea, it becomes a little bit more muddled, <laughs> a little bit more ambiguous. Where is this AC really coming from? And so I think that's why a lot of people fall into the trap of describing every single hit as hitting an armor. You shoot an arrow at the rogue and it didn't make it all the way through your leather armor. And so everything is just kind of like you're just blocking it with your chest. <laughs> Everybody's like dodging. Just... Yeah, they're just thrusting in the <laughs> in the face of an attack. And it's like, oh, well, yay, it didn't hit. So yeah, every class has a different way they handle it. And even more specific, every character within a class even probably has some customized way that they handle threats and handle attacks. But if you're always just considering armor class as armor, your methods of describing how that hit didn't land or did land becomes a little bit shallow. Yeah. Like you kind of, that can only last so long. You play one four hour session and your abilities to, to spin on different ideas as to how you avoided or how you got hit when it's all just, did it make it through your armor or didn't it? Yeah. It kind of plays itself out. So let's get into how you might describe some of those differences with, the classes so as a as a baseline a barbarian gets their armor class from their dexterity and their constitution so a lot of it has and actually barbarians are specific in that some barbarians get a pretty crazy bonus from not wearing any armor yeah like they're just they're playing skins so, so they're, they're, how do you describe not getting hit when you're just you know bare chest in it all the time so they're either using their dexterity to dodge just like a rogue might but they're also just like they're able to take those blows to their bare skin and their face and and just resist it constitution can be interpreted as their constitution to keep the momentum up and keep the fight up longer yeah. so now they're dodging and they're they're able to just keep fighting in a way that they seem tireless like, they're never going to start to slow down. Yeah. They actually start to speed up the more heated combat gets. And they're taking blows, but it's not affecting them as much as it might someone else. Like, they can take an ogre fist to the face, and sure, they get a bloodied eye, and they're roughed up, but they're still just as into the fight. And that's what makes them so cool. Yeah. Like, they're, it's like that uh, uh, Marty McFly versus Biff. You know, he just he wails him as hard as he can, and Biff just gets bigger. And it's like, that's that's what makes a barbarian cool, is they can take a punch, and they just, like, they shrug it off. Like, that's the best you got? Yeah, Biff is a barbarian. <laughs> this gang. We cracked the code. Uh, rogues, you know, we just touched on them. But as far as rogues go, you know, that dexterity matters so much. And being able to just use the environment and just bounce off of walls to avoid an incoming arrow. And that ability to just stay nimble and light is what makes rogues really cool. And sure, their armor class literally comes from their armor and their dexterity, but rogues are typically a little more intelligent too. So maybe they're being more clever with their, mm. like, like you said, using the environment in unique ways that a barbarian definitely wouldn't. That's that, I know I can't take the hit, so as the arrow is coming out of nowhere and I've got one sword in my hand, I'm actually grabbing the piece of loose wood and 
blocking the arrow that's incoming with that piece of wood and then throwing it away. Like, that's what makes rogues cool is that they're thinking two steps ahead. Yeah. And then you've got fighters. Fighters are a good example. Fighters are, yeah, they're a little bit more standard in your imaginings of what this means, but they've got their armor, which can be a little beefier than the rogue. They've got their dexterity still blended in there, depending on the armor they're using, but they also have the ability to take certain fighting styles, and the one that comes to mind for armor class would be the defensive fighting style, which lets them, they've got the defensive fighting style, which lets them just add to their armor class based on their usage of their shield and their armor like they're just better at it than well, the average person that and that's what they're pouring all of their energies into it's not attacking they're sitting there and they're like going full eagle eye and watching for the incoming attacks yeah and being on the ready rather than attacking so now you have to describe those hits not landing in a completely different way like they're just staying on top of it and if one does get through then that changes how you describe because they're in a defensive stance. But if something makes it through, then you know that kind of throws the whole plan into, into disarray. If you go towards like squishier classes like a wizard, they've got no armor because they got to focus on using that magic. Yeah. And they don't have really have a lot of fighting skills or training. First of all, their armor class is going to be considerably lower. They don't want to get in that one-on-one fight. But if they do... They might be, you know, if an attack misses, they might be trying to use more creative magic solutions to avoiding those blows. Like if my goblin shoots an arrow at your mage and misses, how did your mage use that? How do you how would you describe your mage not being hit? Well, I like to imagine like just as a flavor, just as a description, not as an actual use of slots or anything like that. You could use something like mage hand that doesn't even fully form, but it's almost like an instinctive half-casting of Mage Hand that slaps the arrow just, just enough to it. throw it off its yeah. course. Yeah, it's just like this fleeting little flicker yeah. of a hand. Just, uh. And I'm not trying to use that as a way to break the game. I'm just trying to use it as a way to describe my defenses that already exist mechanically. Well, and this is the big kind of challenge with this whole thing, is that if you describe my goblin as... Missing because he just, he shot his arrow wildly. Yeah. That makes the goblin a lot less dangerous and a lot less menacing. Yeah. And now they're just a joke. So this is why you need to consider how would a squishier class avoid a hit without describing it as the goblin is completely ineffective. Because if three shots happen to miss and they go completely wide, then my wizard is probably just thinking about laying there and taking a break. Yeah, this is not in any real danger. But if if I'm barely avoiding each one, then I'm still thinking I got to scramble out of this situation and take that goblin down. So as an example, let's talk about a monk. So I love monks. <laughs> monks are amazing. <laughs> monks are awesome, but very similar to say the barbarian. Monks get actually severely penalized if they're wearing any armor. Yeah, and so when they're not wearing armor, they're armor class comes from their dexterity and their wisdom like it really chips away at this idea of describing our armor class as literal armor because they're not wearing any and in fact the majority of their ability to not be hit comes from their wisdom you know you have to consider that for a moment what does wisdom mean when it comes to defense it means 
you're ready for anything. You're in a calm state of mind. Now we're getting into the monk. Yeah. The monk is cool because it is Zen AF. It is ready for anything. That monk is just walking through the battlefield with its arms crossed behind its back. And it's just waiting for you to attack it. It's aware of everything that's happening around it. And it's able to react before things are even happening. So the the problem with the interpretation. So the first one is that interpretation that uh, like that goblin. So arrow gets shot and the arrow flies wide. And that just basically means that whatever enemy, be it a goblin or a knoll or a human or an orc, is just shitty, kind of like stormtroopers. They <laughs> just they cannot hit anything that they're aiming at. So my my monk is walking down a road by himself, and that goblin pops out and shoots an arrow super wide. Okay, well I'm not really too worried. The tension's gone. That could have been a rock, and you would have still missed. And yeah, your monk doesn't even look up because it's just like eh, whatever. And if you're trying as a DM, this can be really frustrating. If you're trying to build tension and you haven't thought of how to describe a hit missing other than the shot going wide or the swing of the sword, you don't even have to duck because the monster rolled a one or a two or something incredibly low, your DM brain just goes to, oh, it was totally wide. It wasn't even a threat. But if you do that, then you've let all of the air out of your combat. And yeah. now it's not intense. Monsters are scary. They're good at fighting. They mostly just practice fighting, right? <laughs> so so the other interpretation is that luck interferes. Okay. So Goblin pops out of the bush, trains his bow on me, looses the arrow, and a gust of wind knocks it off course. Okay. Well, still didn't have to move. Yeah. Still, I mean, I guess... It could be threatening. Yeah. But good thing that Mother Nature's on our side, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But and it's, it's a little more intimidating. Yeah, sure. It has it has a, uh-oh, things could be bad. So it's there's still a little bit of tension there. But my favorite and my go-to, and I know you and I have worked on this quite a bit to try to make sure that we always hit this mark, is that the third interpretation is that skill happens. It's always skill. Because if this goblin has been hiding in the bushes and sees the monk walking along and says, ooh, easy mark, he's hit something in the past <laughs> to infer that he can, in fact, shoot a bow. Yeah. So at this point, the arrow is flying directly at the monk. And the monk just steps barely to the side, moves his head three inches to the left, calmly watches the arrow go by right in front of his face. The monk heard the twang of the bow and heard the arrow cutting through the air and knew exactly how far he needed to go. And just instinctually moved and jerked their head back very calmly and smoothly. Yeah. And now neither one, the goblin nor the monk, looks like they're potentially not a threat at all. Yeah. So I'm ready for a good fight now. Anytime an attack happens, it is going to hit, except skill interferes. And as a as a player, a narrow escape or a quick sidestep or using the environment 
or a quick block of the shield feels way more intense and satisfying as a character to know that you are in fact skilled yeah to know that you're the one succeeding not just things are happening and you don't really matter in the situation so you created a rock solid system i don't know as soon as you you were halfway done explaining it to me and i said this is the magic (laughs) and then i ran to tell rumor so excited (laughs) the reason that this came to mind was that as a DM and a player, it's way easier to be creative within certain confines. And I think that's true of every situation, uh, even outside of D&D. Like if you have a direction to go, you can be creative within that direction. And sometimes without this, I would nail a description and it feels good. Everyone's into it. But sometimes something just came out that I didn't feel right about and everyone kind of lost interest in the combat. And then it's like, I try and bring this back now. Yeah. For me as a DM, it's incredibly frustrating when I don't know exactly why something fell flat. Yeah. And I'm just like, how do I do that again? I just feel like you're wildly scrambling. You've got like 10 strings in your hands. And you don't know how to tie them together. And... and especially as a DM, when you're trying to manage 50 things in your brain at the same time, <laughs> I need some kind of structure. Otherwise, it's just scattershot. It's like, maybe I'll make it. Maybe this game will be okay. And maybe it won't. This resonated with me a lot because I have always felt that it's not worth making people roll for ability checks that aren't actually challenging for the sake of making a check. And it's really tempting as a DM to do that because people love rolling dice. And every once in a while, you just want to throw some challenge. But it results in, you know, a ladder is leaning up against a building in an alley And a player says, yeah, I want to run up to the top of the ladder and I want to take a a bird's eye view. Well, anybody, including children and small cats, can run up a ladder. (laughs) Climb ladders. So don't make a player (laughs) roll an ability check for that. Because if they roll a one on that ability check and they fall on their ass, that undermines the coolness of the... And clearly, the hero character in this scenario is not as skilled at climbing ladders as a small tiny kitten (laughs) and it it just wasn't necessary for the story too it's just like it didn't drive anything forward yeah yeah whereas if they're in the middle of combat and arrows are flying at our hero now climbing that ladder has a bit of an implication yeah what happens if the player gets hit or falls or is trying to dodge while climbing a ladder that yeah, requires some skill there's a challenge of dodging arrows while you're climbing a ladder and like it's easy to describe why you might fail at that so to build on this as a character you are skilled in things certain things you have a plus two or a plus five in doing perceiving and athleticism and all of those things and you've put those points in there for a reason so if 10 as we mentioned before, is average, anything that you have a plus five to is some serious skill. Your character has practiced that. And it's kind of to the core of who they are, that yeah. they're good in certain skills. And if you have a negative in a certain skill, if you fail at it, then it's expected and natural. And it's not like if I'm playing a really weak wizard that's trying to climb that ladder under duress, he's probably gonna have a tough time with it and that's fine and that doesn't make my character feel less 
yeah, it's not cutting at the core of who that character is if it doesn't make that skill check. But if it does, then that's a pretty <laughs> heroic kind of cool thing. You're like, yeah. whoa, it happened. It worked. Even though I didn't have skill, I still made it. So the system is if you have a bonus to a skill, anytime you succeed at that skill, you describe it as being skilled. Anytime you fail with that skill is always described as having bad luck. Something else beyond your control intervened. And if you've got a negative to that skill, a success is always due to just getting lucky <laughs> in spite of your lack of skill. And if you fail with it, then the lack of skill defines that failure. It's a clear, obvious conclusion. So let's just run through a quick example to make sure that's crystal clear. So you've got this human barbarian with a considerable athletic score, and they're climbing a wall with a plus six. I'm always going to be describing this as knowing exactly where to plant its hands for a firm hold. This barbarian grew up in the mountains, and this is second nature. So it knows to plant its fingers between the cracks in each one of the bricks, nimble, skilled, strong. Yeah. Then you've got a gnomish artificer who's spent their entire life inside a laboratory somewhere and really isn't all that great at climbing, but attempts the exact same climb. But it has a minus. So... Fairly weak character has a minus. If they try to climb the old-fashioned way, a part of the rock collapses, falls over its head, hits the board that they're standing on, and Seesaw launches them to the top of the wall where they are unbelievably standing at the top (laughs) of the wall going, whoa! And that's if they rolled like a 19 or 20 and still... Yeah, so they, they roll high, they succeeded, and they just happenstance got launched to the top of the wall in both scenarios even though one was luck and one was skill they both succeeded at climbing the wall both characters feel as though they have been played correctly yeah and so then if you were to talk about the failure of those characters you've got the uh the barbarian you know he goes to reach for a really solid handhold but he couldn't tell that that handhold was a crumbling part of the wall and it makes him lose his grip. Now this failure feels like it's a part of the world and it's luck and shit luck at that. Yeah. And the barbarian falls or loses its grip and is now just like holding on by one hand. But of course you take that gnome artificer and he's trying to climb the wall and it's really easy to describe why they can't because they just don't have the grip strength. Like they get a few steps up the wall and I don't know if you've ever been rock climbing, but you kind of just like freeze in place because you have no idea where to go next. Yeah. And now the artificer has to ask for help. It's like, Oh my God, I can't do this. And now the barbarian gets to help and everyone's played their characters correctly. Nobody feels kind of cheated out of, doing or failing at what their characters are really good at doing. Yeah. I think this can be extrapolated into social scenarios. Like, I have a Goliath that is absolute shit at charisma. 
Yeah. Like I took it definitely my dump stat. It was like a <laughs> minus four or something like that, that that I have in charisma. So if my Goliath is trying to talk to the innkeeper into giving us a discount for that first night, and I'm like, this place smells like cheese. If you somehow succeeded that roll, like you rolled a 19 or a 20 again. And like, the DC was 10 or 12. So we're talking luck at this point. It's totally luck. So the innkeeper says, well, actually, I love cheese and I keep cheese around the corner. That's why it <laughs> smells like cheese in here. And it's like really impressed at my nose for cheese. Yeah, it's like a connoisseur. Of it. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, wow, you're, uh, we're two of a kind. Of course, I'll give you a discount. Like that's how my really bad <laughs> charisma can play can to still succeed once in a while and have it true to character. Yeah. And my character will not get away with that a second time <laughs> unless I can roll for it rather than just being really good with words. Mm -hmm. And this extends to combat too. Yeah. So it's the same concept, but we're assuming that two combatants are probably going to be trained in the use of whatever weapons they're using. And usually both combatants have a plus to the attack roll. Yeah, you know, in typical scenarios, you're never going to use a weapon that you have a negative to. Right, so in that case, we're talking a skilled combatant versus a skilled combatant. So you're always describing these situations as being skillful. And that means that there is no room for shots to go wide or swings to miss without there being a skill component involved. I'm not just flailing. Yeah, I'm not stumbling. I'm not, I'm not bad at fighting with a sword <laughs> this is my jam I've got i a have plus a plus six. Four. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm trained in this of course unless your character is really trying to do something outside of the scope of their abilities so if we bring up that gnome artificer again they're out of spell slots they've got nothing left and they pick up a bow as a latch last ditch effort so they've got a you know a minus two to this shot that means the shot is going to go wide they've never shot at a target before but if it is a successful roll, despite that, then they manage to get that kill on the orc in just a wildly lucky shot. Like they, they aim the bow, they close their eyes, they set a little prayer, <laughs> they just let fly, and it managed to... And the yeah, the arrow stuck right into the orc as they were just bearing down on the, the party barbarian that's down on their last couple of... And that's what makes these games exciting. That's what makes <laughs> fantasy... Ah, so fulfilling. It yeah. feels so great. So just to kind of cap this off, players can take a lot of weight off of the DMs by helping with the knowledge of their character and how skilled they are and kind of helping to throw in those little narrative descriptions when they can. Well, a DM can't remember all of the pluses and minuses and things that you might have. So I truly feel like more descriptions of how combat plays out can be contributed to the game by players. And that's why their role in this is so important, is that players should definitely take a driver's seat when it comes to describing how certain attacks happened. Yeah. As long as everyone's on the same page, a success is skill-based and a failure is luck-based. Yeah. And it always feels fantastic. It never feels like a player is just stupid or dumb or bumbling. And as a player, this certainly brings me into the game more because if a DM is doing all the describing, then as a as a group of players, you're just rolling dice and seeing what happens. Yeah. And if 
all of this is kind of agreed upon, kind of like we mentioned in our last episode about taking all of the wind out of an epic fantasy game. You're never playing Paul Blart Mall Cop where everyone's just kind of bumbling through combat. <laughs> everybody's skilled. Everybody's adventurous. Everybody's a hero. Every moment you're on the edge of your seat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I cannot wait to find out how this is described. Again, going back to what we mentioned earlier, is that that description of the success or failure comes after the assured hit. Nobody's taking pot shots just wildly without <laughs> aiming. That arrow was going to hit, but skill intervened every time. Excellent. Okay, well, that just about wraps up this episode. So thanks, Tabletop Audio, for all of the sound effects that you hear in this episode. Definitely use Tabletop Audio. There's lots more coming out all the time. So you can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, Reddit. Thanks for listening. And, and play, play great, great games. games, everybody. I want the world to know. Play great games. Please. And he's like,